This morning I want us to look at the heart of the gospel-shaped worker. The heart of a gospel-shaped worker. I've been looking at this series now, what it means to be a healthy church, a gospel-focused church. And we've looked at four previous categories of the believers in the church. Number one, older men. Two, older women. Three, younger men. Number four, younger women. We've now come to this fifth and final category that Titus speaks to us about. A category of believers in the church and how they should live outside also. So let's look again at Titus 2.9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the glory, the doctrine of God, our Saviour. There's two things I want us to see today that's on your outline. Workers are to demonstrate submission to those in authority. Workers who demonstrate submission honour God's truth. As you know, Pastor Chola has taken us through Colossians and will soon be broaching this topic of workers from Colossians 3.22. And there Paul says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And there is a theme of obedience, isn't there? To those in authority and the result of this obedience is actually pleasing to the Lord. See, back to our main text this morning, this subject about slaves, I know it can bring up a lot of emotions giving historic events. This slavery mentioned here was not a restriction on certain ethnic groups, as was this case with past and current and some current systems of slavery. Slavery was rampant across the Roman Empire. And because of this, the government had to ensure that there was laws in place to protect the rights of those slaves. These first century slaves were well-educated and multi-skilled. Often the slaves themselves were leaders in their conquered countries and others actually were from poor backgrounds. See, as a result of war, many captives would become slaves as spoils of war, or even they sold themselves to slavery. And slave owners on the whole would generally respect their slaves, even with absolute rights over their slaves. But we know that this was likely an overstatement. There's always a one, there's always a few. There are cases where the masters were cruel and abusive to their slaves. And these slaves had opportunities, though, to marry, to purchase their own freedom, to build up wealth. They could even have their own business. There were time frames in which slaves could be released from their duty. Sometimes it'd be right up to seven years or within seven years of service, or certainly by the age of 30, they could free. The question we must ask then, does the Bible condone slavery? 
is Paul advocating slavery. Think of the version of the verse, rather, in Colossians I read earlier. Also, what Paul has to say here in Titus. What does Peter, another apostle, have to say in 1 Peter 2.18? He says this, Servants, be subject to your own masters with all respect, not only to be not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So when you read the New Testament, you will find that the apostles did not condemn slavery. Why is it so? Also, in the Old Testament, there were slaves before Moses was given the Mosaic law. Yet God did not include the abolition of slavery in the Pentateuch. Instead, God gave laws to provide basic rights and restrained the evil actions of masters. Well, here Paul knows there are many slaves in Crete. There are many slaves that Titus must address and minister to. So what does Paul command Titus to teach? To teach that bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. And so here lies our first point. Workers are to demonstrate submission to those in authority in everything. Now the word bondservant is the same, it's the same Greek word that we found in first in, in, in Titus 1:1, the Paul, a servant of God, doulos, which means slave. This word can be used for workers and employees. The Christian slaves Paul is referring to often worked for unbelievers. Whilst Paul did not focus on the weighty subject of slavery, abolition, he otherwise reveals how God has a plan for slaves and workers alike. God cares about you. God cares about your home and your members, the members of your household. God cares about his church and the gathering of the saints. And also, God cares about you at your workplace. He cares how you are treated and how you represent him as a Christian worker. If we remember from Titus 2.1, Paul writes to Titus, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. For a worker to be submissive to their own masters in everything is sound doctrine. It is healthy and of benefit to you and the body of Christ. These bond servants are to be subject to their masters in everything, he says. That means in the workplace, we are to be submissive in everything. It is estimated that about two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves. And whilst it may be difficult to compare slavery in this context to today's workforce, that was the workforce of the day. And God's word certainly teaches us how we are to conduct ourselves in our respective places of work. We are given four ways we are to obey those in authority, especially in the work context. There are two things we are not to do and two things we are to do. Let's take a look at those things we are not to do. Verse 9 says, not argumentative. The servant is one that is not constantly talking back to his 
or a master. We are not referring to constructive feedback, where your manager makes a decision or decides to go down a particular path or make a particular decision, or, but you maybe suggest an alternative plan or raise a concern as a form of help to the manager and the workforce. That's okay. This relates to the constant bickering and opposition to what your manager or someone in the position of authority over you is saying. It is contradicting the person to get one over them. Done in a manner that is insubordinate. A lack of respect for the person in question. Such motives for gain is right up there with those who contradict God's word, as Paul says earlier. The root word for argumentative is the same word as contradict. We see in Titus 1.9, someone who contradicts sound doctrine. Why is this not the right thing to do? Why is this wrong? Well, someone that is argumentative reveals they lack humility. They lack meekness. Humility is thinking of others more, thinking about ourselves less. Meekness, an attitude whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else, as long as it does not involve sinning against God. See, disrespecting others is not the right way to deal with any form of disagreement. We cannot excuse provocative words as Christians. There is no excuse. Proverbs 15.1 reminds us that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's not the response necessarily to those in authority, but your approach and motive. Be careful not to make your manager look bad just for the sake of winning an argument or responding in a like manner when you are provoked. It's easier said than done, isn't it? Easier said than done. Two, what we're not meant to do. Verse 10 says, not pilfering. Titus is to instruct slaves not to steal from their masters, not to appropriate for them for themselves what does belong to someone else, something that does not belong to you. That is stealing. It's not like robbing a bank, but taking little here and little over there. So we remember in Titus 1:12 how the Cretans' own prophet said, Cretans are always lies, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This way of living is widespread amongst the Cretans. It's widespread in our society. Whilst this continued to be the case for non-Christians and Cretans, this is not the life of a born-again believer. We're told to put off the old man in slavery also. Do not conform to the world. You are a new creation in Christ. If so, live in that way, he tells them. Personal integrity and discipline should not slide in any circumstances. Just because your manager is not a believer does not excuse you from stealing petty cash. See, our mind automatically goes to money, but there are other ways in which we may steal at work. Items like pencils and pens that you take as souvenirs because your manager doesn't recognise your commitment to the company. 
So you say, there's got to be some perks, right? You know, there's these fancy pens here. Might as well take them. But did you ask for those items? As I was preparing this preach, I, I was reminded that I, I took a big pen home from church. And uh, <laughs> it's often that those big pens, they, they start with plenty and by a few weeks they're gone. We're all guilty, aren't we, in one way or another? Why not return those things you've taken? Why not ask for permission? Now that's physical stealing. But there's other ways in which we steal. Other forms of stealing that we excuse. We're living in this modern age of technology. We're all multitasking. We all have great abilities to do that. Many have installed WhatsApp on their computers. No longer WhatsApp on the phone. And it's deemed as a convenient way to respond. Rather than bringing out a phone, I could work and also type along whilst it's on the side of the screen. Especially if you've got a big screen, you can just put WhatsApp there on the side, right? It's an opportunity to message friends and families. But this can be abused. If you're spending long periods of time chatting away on WhatsApp during work hours, you're stealing company time. You're also stealing computer time. Also, your working hours are your working hours. If you're contracted to seven and a half hours a day and you're constantly on social media at different checkpoints, you're not doing your seven and a half hours. You're doing much less. Stop stealing your employer's time. That's what the Bible is saying. New research conducted by the Krona claims that on average... UK employees spend 13 hours a week on social media in work time. In addition to this, the study which surveyed over 1,300 UK employees claims that Instagram was the social media of choice for people to pass away time during the working day. And the most popular times and hours for employees' social media usage was between the hours of 3 to 5 p.m., so we start off very productive. Then as the day goes on, we drop off. That time is very interesting. A time at the end of the day. We've eaten. We've had our food. We've had our lunch. The body system is slower. We're not as energetic. Concentration and discipline goes out the window. And you may say, I'm listening to YouTube. I am listening to a Christian podcast. I'm watching a sermon on YouTube. But that does not excuse using the company's hours to do those things. This goes also for phone calls. Are you working at home and secretly using work time to call family and friends for extended periods of the day? You say, I don't do those things that you know, other people do. What about extending your lunch hour and lunch break past the contracted period? You're meant to take an hour lunch, but you've discovered, well, the boss does it. Extends the next five, 10, 15 minutes. I can do it also. Are you pulling sickies? How about timekeeping? Do you arrive at work just on the dot? That's lateness. 
9 a.m. is being late. I remember back at uni, I used to, they used to call me Justin because the lecturer would say that I just arrived just in time. I was there, but it was always just at that, when the clock turned, you know? That's late. That's actually late. If you work from home, do you log in on time and then go back to sleep? Well, I'm on. They see I'm on. <laughs> Let me just snooze a little bit more. Is that what we do? On my half day, when I take my son swimming, I sometimes meet parents who have, who have come along, right, to, to bring their kids swimming. And you get talking to them and you realise that they're not meant to be there. They're meant to be working from home. They haven't got permission from their bosses and managers to be there, but they've chosen to sneak out because, yeah, I'm going to spend time with my son and daughter. But they're stealing companies' time. Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's what the Bible says. It is still no longer. Now onto what Christian slaves should do. Verse 9. Bond servants are to be well pleasing. The context here is that slaves should be well pleasing to their masters. The idea is that they are to be acceptable. And some of the use of this word in the Bible we see in Romans 12, 1 to 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Philippians 4, 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Are we not meant to be pleasing to God only? Are we, meant to be pleasing to, are we not meant to be pleasing to God only? Yes, we're only meant to please God above all things. But these two, it, it, it's, it's Paul contradicting scripture here by insinuating that these Christian servants should be people pleasers. No, he's not. They are to please their masters in as much as everything they do pleases the Lord ultimately. How are they to do that? They are three things. They are to do three things. To be of benefit to their manager. To be a benefit to their master. To be cheerful and joyful. To be sacrificial. So as we look into that first point, to be of benefit... Work in such a way that is beneficial for your employers. Be an asset in whatever way you can. It is not ideal to work somewhere with the aim of living paycheck to paycheck. Don't just exist in that role there. Be of benefit. Don't just make up the numbers. As Christians, we just don't make up the numbers at work. Rather, be of benefit to your company and organisation. How can you do that at the basic level? Turn up. Be there. Get to work on time. That's the first step. Engage. Be active. Engage in meetings and discussions and team huddles. Sign in on time if you're working from home. 
complete assignments and tasks within good time and focus to maintain high standards. You won't do everything perfectly, but ensure that productivity as much as possible is done on your part, that you're able to be productive. Two, be cheerful, joyful. Now this may sound strange, but even in the midst of slavery, joy could be found as one surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. See, biblical joy is not based on wavering happiness. That is based on good or favourable circumstances. Rather, as James reminds many who are facing, who are facing hardship, the dispersed Christians, he says to them in James 1, 2-3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The challenges of this world are temporary. The challenges at work, challenges with people at work, they are real. They're striving. They are burdensome sometimes. But for a Christian, you don't need to fear those times of challenges. There are many trials. There are bullying that goes on. Pay cuts, partiality, envy, strife, anger, lies, arrogant leaders overstepping the list is endless but how do you respond how do you do how do you respond i was encouraging us here firstly your joy is not it's not to come by hiding away from difficult conversations at work don't hide away from difficult conversations that's not what you're called to do. It doesn't mean you're argumentative. The motive, as we said earlier, is important. Your joy doesn't come from hiding from difficult situations. You know that you're still going to deal with them when you come back home. Your joy doesn't come from your morning coffee. That gets me ready in the morning. That's not where your joy comes from. It won't even necessarily come from leaving the workplace. Your walk with Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is your true source of joy. That's the only source of joy you have. And when we remind ourselves that our joy is not in man but in Christ, then our perspective will shift from those temporary challenges and situations to our source of hope and joy, which is Christ Jesus. Don't let your work rub you of your joy. I find that we search and we look high and low to find suitable jobs and workplaces and are so ecstatic and joyful when we get that confirmation that our application has been accepted and is successful. But invariably, that very job within a few weeks, within a few months, begins to sap our happiness and our joy. Human relationships, work pressures, targets, Jealousy and all sorts of challenges. They come and then we begin to wonder, was this job a blessing? <laughs> they prayed for me, I've got this job, but really, <laughs> it's not a blessing anymore. Lord, why? Why? Those moments are opportunities to show others the joy of Christ. They are perfect opportunities. 
James says something that in the midst of testing times, we must ask the Lord for wisdom. What would you have me do in this time? What are you teaching me in this time? What should I demonstrate of your joy to others in this time? Don't let those circumstances defeat you, servant or worker. What is the Lord teaching you in those moments of adversity? There are moments when we have to move on also. We must recognise that. Sometimes we must move on because the place becomes inhabitable or conducive. But what the Lord would have you do is to strive still to be well-pleasing to your employer as unto the Lord. Even as you're leaving, your leaving shows that you are Christian and you do not leave the same way as others do. You go with the assurance that, well, I'm leaving, but I leave you and I pray for you that the Lord will help, no matter the circumstances. Thirdly, we must be sacrificial. Work is sacrifice in and of itself. You're sacrificing your time. You're sacrificing time spent with family. Maybe even time that you should set up your own business that you've been thinking about for a while. Or even partaking in other working or worthwhile activities. And we must recognise that it is a blessing to our employers that we are able to make the sacrifice even if it's simply doing our contracted hours. When you sign on that dotted line, as much as you enjoyed seeing the wage and the salary stipulated, you also sign to make some sacrifices to attend to your duties in the business or organisation during those hours. When doing so, we must know that when we have gone beyond our sacrificial duty, and if it's at the expense of our relationship with Christ and our commitments to our family, then the situation has to be reassessed, has to be addressed. Work that makes you an absent sheep and keeps you from the true sacrificed lamb is dead work. Let's prioritise God, even in as much as work is sacrifice. We have a sacrificial lamb that has died for us. That's the one and true one that we need to worship, not our work. So we're not to be argumentative, not pilfering, but rather well-pleasing to those in authority. Number four. The other thing that Christian slaves were to do was to show all good faith. Luke 16, 10 to 12 reminds us this. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in, what, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So faithfulness is the heart of obedience and submission. It's at the very heart of it. This is the idea that Paul is also conveying in Titus, that faithfulness or the lack of it is a measure of your commitment and your stewardship of what God has given to you. If you are faithful as a worker to an unrighteous boss, you can be entrusted even with true riches. 
Spiritual blessings, that is. We're not talking about necessarily material blessings. But also faithfulness to others' property, goods, not embezzling, not intentionally losing or wasting the, the things that you've been put in charge of, does bring God's blessing to you also. It does. And hence, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? That's what Paul says. So bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Not argumentative, not pilfering, not well-pleasing rather, but showing all good faith, faithfulness. There are some blessings for employers, but also blessings for yourself as an employee. But how does that all fit in with what we're saying this morning? How does that all fit in with the reality of what we should be, the qualities of a healthy church? And this is our second point we were examining this morning. Workers who demonstrate submission, honour God's truth. Workers who demonstrate submission, honour honour. God's truth. Verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. So when we jump to verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of the God our Saviour. Verse 10 says, so that in every. The application is that Christian service cuts across our very life, entire life. How would your children, spouse, your siblings, what would they say when they compare your, how you live at home and how you live within the church settings? See, your home life does not, should not be drastically different from your life in the church. And likewise, the way you serve the church should not be drastically different from how you serve at work. The gospel is to shape every aspect of a Christian's life and service in that you and your life and your service should attest to the gospel transformed life. And so Paul keeps telling us to consider the gospel implications of how we live. We're reminded previously in Titus 2, 5, wives demonstrate submission to your own husbands so that the word of God may not be reviled. 2, 7 and 8, Men, show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about the church. 2, 9 and verse 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. You see, like an ambassador of the UK representative in another country, They represent the UK in that country of residence. But their citizenship is still the United Kingdom. See, when we misbehave at work, when we go rogue, when we do what we want at work, who does it reflect badly on? The body of Christ. Your representative where the Lord has placed you. Just as that rogue representative and ambassador, if he goes rogue, he looks bad, it looks bad on the UK. That's the same thing for us as Christians. The conduct of leaders in the church, your service as a man or a woman, 
And your secular work service is to bring honour to God and attract others to the God of grace and truth. You are to serve at your workplace with commitment, with faithfulness and obedience, regardless of the people in authority, as long as you are not sinning against God and disobeying his commandments. So how should you, as we close, how should you adorn the doctrine of God, our saviour, as a Christian worker? Our charge is love. Our charge is love. We do this because the Lord Jesus Christ has served us, has come in human flesh to serve us, to save us, to deliver us. And so when we serve, our servitude is out of love. We serve with humility. We think about others. We serve in a Christ-likeness manner. How would Christ do this job? Whatever job it may be, how would Christ serve in this job? There is no job low that Jesus hasn't done. Washing the feet of his disciples. Bending low to come serve, save us and to serve us. We must do things with faithfulness. Let's be commit, committed to the things we're committed to. It's important. It, you're representing Christ who is committed to us. He never leaves nor forsakes us. So when we commit to things, we do it wholeheartedly, honouring the Lord. And that's exactly it. Everything that we do. We must say, whilst I'm here in this workplace, it's unto the Lord. People may not give you the credit. They may not give you the, the accolade that sometimes we look for. But the Lord sees your faithfulness. He sees your heart of love. And that's what's most important. Are you an unbeliever here this morning that does not know Christ? Jesus is the servant king. He is truly the servant king that has come to save sinners. His work on the cross did not look so wise to the people of the day and does not still look wise to people of nowadays. But his sacrificial death on the cross has paid the price for you eternally if you believe in him. For he has paid the price once and single sacrifice for those who are being sanctified. He has come to rescue sinners. Don't be committed to yourself. Don't serve yourself. Saving for retirement, the retirement that never comes. The true rest is only in Jesus Christ. That's where you find your rest, your hope, your joy. Not in those things that you work for. Not in yourself. Are you serving money or are you serving God, brothers and sisters in Christ? It's great to have more. But what is your motivation for working? What is your motivation as you're working? Am I doing this when I wake up in the morning on a Monday? I'm going again. Am I, oh, I don't like this job. Or despite the challenges, do you say, Lord, Lord of hosts, you are with us. You are with me. Come, Lord, strengthen me. Are you prioritizing honoring God in how you serve at work? In how you serve in any role the Lord has blessed you with? How are you representing God as a Christian in your workplace? 
to your obedience and faithfulness at work to God ultimately will shine forth the glory of the excellencies of God, our Saviour. You are ambassador where the Lord has placed you. Don't leave the gospel at the door of your workplace. I'm here now. I'm going to face all these challenges on my own. I'm going to do it in my strength. Oh yeah, you chatted to me yesterday. I'm coming for you. That's not what we do. We don't leave the gospel at the door. Don't leave the gospel on your bed as you work from home. I've read the Bible. Now, leave that on the bed. Let work begin. The gospel continues with you, wherever you are. Whether you are in retail, hospitality, health service, finance, cleaning, food industry, teaching, insurance, recruitment, whatever the Lord have you do, do it unto the Lord. Whatever job or vocation, the doctrine of God our Saviour must be your life and service. It must be your life and service. Demonstrate a life that is saved by Christ. A life that is saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. By sharing the gospel. But not only sharing the gospel, living the gospel wherever the Lord places you. For it's in this light that many will see truly what the Lord has done. Let's look to the Lord in all things. The gospel must be at the centre of our work. Amen. Amen.